Fire was also used to purify gold and silver of any dross that there was. So you'd put the precious metals into very, very hot fire, and you'd leave it there until it purified the, the metallic substance and left something that was pure. Fire will one day judge our works. Only what we did for God will stand. So if we did it to gain attention, to draw attention to ourselves, if we did it with some ulterior motive, fire will consume that. But only what we did for Christ will stand the test of fire. Everything that did not glorify God will be burnt up. Jesus' mission was to purify the wickedness on the earth with the fire of his righteousness. He says, and I wish that fire had already been kindled. I wish that the fire of my righteousness already burnt up the world and all its wickedness. I wish that justice would run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I wish that Christians were committed to being holy and godly as they waited and watched for my return. I wish the fire that will accomplish all of this, I wish that that fire had already been kindled. But at the time that Jesus said this, it had not. And so until then, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, by baptism, Jesus is not referring here to his water baptism, the kind of baptism that we'll see when Macy and Derek and Candice are baptized next Sunday. He's not talking about that kind of baptism. He's not talking about water baptism at all. He is referring to his martyrdom. The word baptizo in Greek not only means to be baptized in water, it can also refer to being um, martyred. So he's referring, Jesus is, to his baptism of suffering that he will shortly have to endure. First of all, he would be betrayed by Judas. He's referring to that. Peter will deny him three times. His disciples, all of them, will forsake him. And lastly, Roman soldiers are going to nail him to a cross. He told his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 to 34, he says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. That is what Jesus is referring to. His baptism with fire, if you will. But you know, the interesting thing is that when Jesus said this, not everybody took him seriously. Not everybody treated it with the seriousness that it warranted. And so two of his disciples, James and John, they hear Jesus say this, and rather than entering into that moment of suffering and agony with him, they selfishly requested him to allow them both to sit, one on his left and one on his right, when he came into his kingdom. And this is how Jesus answered them. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Again, referring to his death. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. 
But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So Jesus is talking about the baptism of suffering and crucifixion that he will have to endure. Rejection and persecution and the crucifixion on the cross for the sins of the world, for my sins and for your sins. And he's saying, how I wish that that fire had already been kindled. Because when it is, when it is kindled, I will have accomplished the reason that I came from God, which is to seek and to save lost people from their sins and to fill the earth with righteousness. Well, that fire was later kindled because Jesus did go through the suffering that he said he would go through. And even though many people rejected him, John tells us that those of us who did receive him, who have received him, he has given the right to become the sons and daughters of God. If you are a son and a daughter of God, would you just say amen? amen. Praise God. That is who we are. Now Jesus goes, to tell, goes on to tell us about the second breeze that will blow that we need to detect. Breeze number two, families in relational crisis because of me. Families in relational crisis. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? Jesus asks. No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And as I unpacked this verse in my preparation, I got to thinking just how precious our families are to us. Aren't they? Very precious. Think of how precious your families are to you. Remember how you and your spouse conceived a precious child together. Recall your excitement when she said to you, you're going to be a daddy. Think of the preparation, the dieting, the resting, the doctor's visits, and the bonding that you went through over the next several months while the baby was developing in your womb. Remember the over-the-moon feelings that the two of you experienced when you became parents for the first time. Now, this may have happened several times over. As other children were born and you invested perhaps the next 20 years of your life raising them into adulthood, clapping at their first words, clapping at their first step, their first birthday, their first Party training success, how are you doing with that, Sarah? <laughs> and all of that, first day of school, first, you know, a lot of firsts along the way. And you clap and you celebrate every time that, they, that there is a success. And you know what? As painful and as difficult as that was for us as parents, we would not trade that for the world, would we? No. Precious. But there is an agony that will pierce the souls of many of us. An agony. Our souls will agonize over the wind of division that will blow into many of our families. I wish I had better news for us. Here's what Jesus said. 
There'll be five in one family, and three will be divided against two, and two against three. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, and the list goes on and on. Division, that is painful. Division is painful. Now, who will be the cause of this division? Notice it's not a what, it's a who. Who will be the cause of this division? Jesus. Jesus. Some will take a stand for Jesus. Others in your family will take a stand against Jesus, causing a split in our families. We all have a choice to make concerning Jesus, and it is painful that family members often choose differently, and no matter what you say to them. Some of them don't even want you to mention the name of Jesus to them. I remember a time that my brother said, don't ever mention his name to me again. Don't tell me anything about Christianity again. That was tough to hear. Division. So for many of us, as precious as our families are, there is going to be an agony that we experience in our soul. Now, the Old Testament book of Micah, way back in Micah, it seems to have been pointing to the very same thing that Jesus is saying here in this passage. Because Micah chapter, uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 6 through 7, reads like this. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But you know, the, these next words are priceless. I really love what the author goes on to say here. Because these words speak to the loneliness that we often feel when we take a stand for Christ. He goes on to say this, but as for me, so, so there might be others in my household who are divided against me, but as for me personally, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. I can't control what other people in my household or in my family or in my neighborhood think about Jesus. But I know that as for me, I will look to Jesus. I will wait for the God of my salvation. So Jesus' point in this passage is very simple. Expect the wind of division to blow in your family. It will cause you some pain. It will cause your heart to break over it. But stay true to me regardless of who opposes me. That's what Jesus is saying. Breeze number three. The signs of the times that point to my return. That's another breeze that we need to pay attention to. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And of course we know that. We look up in the, look up in the sky and we see dark clouds and they're heavy and we say, Wow. If we have clothes on the wire, well, you don't normally put clothes on the wire here. We do that in the Caribbean because it's just hot sun over here. So you, you see that, and you know you need to get the laundry quickly because you don't want them to get wet again. So you know that there's a shower coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And what heat have we had? In fact, I'm told that this was the hottest summer on record. You realize that? The hottest summer and the hottest August that we've ever had. There'll be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, Jesus says, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time in which you live? 
And so to illustrate the point about division the family, Jesus asked the crowd to think of a weather forecast. Unlike meteorologists who work with satellite images and Doppler radar and other things like that, the people in Jesus' audience had one weather tool, and that was their eyes. The only thing with which they could tell the weather was their eyes. They could predict the weather by making a few simple observations. And so a westerly breeze meant that moisture from the Mediterranean Sea was riding in and clouds and rain were going to follow. That's how they knew. However, a southwesterly wind meant that heat from the desert was on the way and that a rise in temperature would follow. They were able to tell what kind of weather they would experience by the breezes that were blowing. Now, although the people that Jesus was talking to, although they could predict the physical weather based on the breezes, they could not interpret the spiritual climate that his fire was bringing. Somehow they could tell the weather, but they couldn't predict the spiritual climate. And so Jesus called them hypocrites. If you know how to interpret the weather, how is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time in which you live, the present climate that is facing you? How is it that you can't read the signs of the times? Now, later on in the book of Luke, Jesus gave us a list of the signs that would predict, would predict and precede his coming. And then he said, after listing these um, signs, he said to his disciples in Luke chapter 21 and verse 36, he said, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to be able to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake. That was the message from last week of how we always need to be watching and alert. Jesus is repeating that today. Stay awake. Be alert. And then in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of these signs that the Spirit of God expressly revealed to him would happen when his coming was near. First of which was this. Christians departing from the faith. Do you see any of that happening around you? Do you see Christians departing from the faith and believing all kinds of deceitful and demonic things? Do you see that? Secondly, society tampering with traditional marriage. Do you hear any of that around in the news? Do you see it? It's all there in Timothy. Thirdly, people making a bigger deal about food than thanksgiving, holiness, God's word, and prayer. You hear anything about dieting these days? Foods that you should or should not eat? Foods that would cause you to lose weight or gain weight or whatever? People are making a bigger, bigger deal about food than against than about thanksgiving and holiness and God's word and prayer. And then after revealing these signs, the Apostle Paul instructs us accordingly. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, Paul writes, Have nothing to do with these irreverent, silly myths. Rather, 
Train yourself for godliness, for godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those of us who believe. So in other words, rather than, rather than giving in to the fads and, and, the, and the, all the ungodly things that are around us, let us make sure that we are training ourselves in godliness and setting our hope on the living God, the Savior who is going to appear very soon. But this list that Paul gives is by no means exhaustive. There are the signs of the times. There are many anti-God breezes that are blowing throughout our land. You've heard of them. You've heard of postmodernism. You've heard of secular humanism. You've heard of pluralism. You've heard all of the conspiracy theories that are out there. You've heard about the deception that are in every circle. And these things, if we're not careful, they will make us so spiritually blind that we cannot read the spiritual temperature. Jesus said, when you see these things happening around you, when you see all these signs of the time that are pointing to my coming, what you need to do is to lift up your heads and see that your redemption is drawing near. See that my return is right around the corner. Here's the fourth and final breeze that will blow, Jesus says. People settling their spiritual debts. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So here now, Jesus calls on his audience to make one last judgment. He has told them three stories. This is, this is the third one. And he's asking them this question, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? In other words, why don't you do some discerning? Why don't you, why don't you make a judgment based on the fact that in legal and civil disputes, we often turn to a magistrate or to a judge or to an officer of the court to settle these disputes? That's what we do, don't we? So his advice is very simple. It is better to settle your accounts rather than to do time in prison. Because those who fail to settle their accounts and are found guilty, they will be dragged away to prison and they will never get out until they've paid the very last penny. That's what Jesus says. What does all this mean? It means that when the breeze starts to blow that causes people to turn to him, to start settling their spiritual debts. When the breeze starts to blow that causes people to turn to God to be forgiven of their sins. When the breeze of revival starts to blow across college campuses that result in a deeper hunger and seeking and thirsting after God. When the breeze starts to blow that causes the gospel to, to be spread towards the remotest places of the world know that it can only mean that people are settling their spiritual debts with God. That's what that means. 
And let that be a sign for you that my coming is near. When there is a revival in terms of seeking after God and people giving their lives to Christ, know that my coming is near. Have you heard of any revivals recently on college campuses and other parts of the world? Have you heard of people turning to God from their sins? Getting ready? Know that the coming of the Lord is near. The bottom line of our message is that the signs are all clear. Jesus is coming. That is not a fad. That is not something that people who need a spiritual crutch, crutch hold on to. That is a fact. That is a fact. Here are four things I'd like you to do if you hear this message this morning and you have heard it. Choose to be saved by the fire than to be destroyed in it. Choose to be saved by the fire rather than destroyed by it. So Jesus talks in here about a fire, a fire that purifies, the fire of his righteousness that saves. That is what I want to be a part of. Not a part of the destructive end of that fire that consumes us eternally. Choose to be saved by the fire than to be destroyed by it. Secondly, speaking to us who are Christians, let your loyalty to Jesus take precedence over your love for family. Now that's a hard, that's a hard point. Like I said, our families are precious. We love our families. They mean the world to us. And yet many of them are not going to choose Jesus. Choose loyalty to Jesus over love of family. God can help us to do that. Thirdly, pay attention to the signs of the times. Don't just listen to the news, but listen to the news with an eye on eternity. And when you see what scripture says being fulfilled, let that sharpen your preparation for Christ's return. Fourthly and finally, don't let Jesus' return find you with any unsettled spiritual debt. Pay your debts now. Ask God to forgive all your sins. Owe no man anything except to love one another. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold on to the, the forgiveness that somebody wants from you. And if you have offended somebody, don't let that go. Settle that debt. Go to them and ask for their forgiveness and let that peace be yours rather than an unsettled debt. Let us pray together. Father, you have reminded us today of how attentive we need to be to the signs of the times because they're pointing to your return. Help each one of us, Lord, to apply this word in whichever way you've asked us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.